During the pandemic, I found myself raising my voice at home more than I would like to do, more than I need to do, and it's something that I'm working on. Now, I don't think that I'm going to hell because of it. As we discussed last week, I believe that I'm going to heaven because I have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Uh, I've received his grace that he died on a cross and rose from the dead so that I can be in a right relationship with God. I've been saved. I've been born again. I have been justified by Jesus and what he did for me on the cross and through my faith in that, that he makes possible. And so I've shifted from team sinner to team saint. I'm on God's team now, and I believe I will be in heaven one day and that I'm living life to the full now. But that doesn't mean that I don't have work to do right here and right now in my own life, that there is still individual sin that clings to me, uh, such as losing my temper when I shouldn't have to do that. And so I'm glad that the Holy Spirit is with me to help transform me, that God meets me where I am and helps me become something more, that I can become more like Jesus, I can become holy, that I can be set apart from the world, and that God has better in store for me. I want to live life to the full, and the Holy Spirit is with me to make me holy to make me spiritually strong, to transform me, to sanctify me, which means to be made holy. And so I'm in this, this process of becoming more like Christ. And part of that process is trying to figure out how not to lose my temper when I shouldn't be losing my temper. Maybe another way to think about it in our lives is our relationship with God um, is kind of like the difference between a wedding and a marriage. We talked about this last week about being spiritually strong and that the wedding is a one-time event. It's where two people come together and they leave, leave the wedding different. They leave changed. They come as individuals. They leave as a couple. And it's a great moment in time. But that's just the beginning of their marriage. It's going to hopefully last for the rest of their lives. And that's going to be a marriage that they need to invest in and spend time with each other and, and work on and grow closer together. And so there's a wedding and then there is the marriage. Same thing with us and God. When we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's a point in time. We've been saved. We've been justified. And that starts a whole long, uh, lifelong relationship with God called sanctification, being made holy, being transformed, becoming spiritually strong, which helps us live life to the full. And so the Holy Spirit is with us to make us more like Christ. And one thing that we can keep in mind in this process of sanctification is that with God, we improve ourselves. That individual sin that clings to us and doesn't want to let go, we have the power to get rid of that. And so God meets us where we are, helps us become something more. With God, right, we can improve ourselves. But what we don't have to do is we don't have to prove ourselves to God. We don't have to earn God's love. We don't have to work hard to, uh, to achieve a certain level of holiness that, okay, now God's going to love me. Now I'm going to be saved. Now I'm going to be going to heaven. That's not how it works, right? God sees us all as priceless from the very beginning. God will never love us more or less than God loves us right now. And so we don't have to prove ourselves to God through holiness, but we can improve ourselves. We can become more like Jesus. We can have more joy in our lives, more hope in our lives, more peace in our lives. Our families can get along better. We can get along better with our friends and our colleagues and the people who live around us, our neighbors. And so with God, we improve ourselves, but we don't have to prove ourselves. So that's kind of a brief recap of where we started this series on Spiritually Strong. 
God wants us to improve our lives, that we can be more like Jesus, that we can live life to the full when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and make us become more holy. And we talked also about how we play a role in this and God plays a role in this. And it's just so comforting, as we discussed last week, that we're not in it by ourselves, that we can't do it by ourselves, that God is here to help do the heavy lifting. And so I want to share just another passage of Scripture with you today, this time uh, from the New Testament. It's written by Paul, who was a pastor in the first century, wrote most of the New Testament. He started a lot of churches and he wrote them letters. And this is from his letter to the Philippian church. And Paul is talking about salvation, right? This whole thing of justification, sanctification, right? being saved with God and, and becoming more holy. And I think Paul captures this in a couple of verses about what our role is and what God's role is. So let's read this together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's from verse 12. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, take this salvation stuff, this justification, sanctification stuff, seriously. It's important. So you know, pay special attention to it. And then he says in this, in verse 13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we're working out our salvation, but it's God who's working in us to make it possible. So again, God's the heavy lifter. God's doing the hard part. God's doing the, the, the heavy lifting for us. But we have to choose with the power of the Holy Spirit to cooperate with God. So what does that look like in everyday life? Again, back to my story of just struggling with losing my temper during the pandemic. Part of this, uh, a big part of this now for me is just a lot of prayer. And I want to spend time with God and invite God to change me and give me control over my emotion, and especially when I'm on the edge of losing it. And so it's just a lot of prayer involved, and I'm like, God, I need your help to do this. I've also been reading a lot about it, reading about articles and books about uh, what's going on in the pandemic and our emotions and all kinds of things, and I've really learned a lot. And I also have my wife, Laura, to hold me accountable. And so it's kind of a team effort. God's in it. I'm in it. My wife's in it. And so making a lot of progress, again, I play a role, God plays a role. Today, I'm going to introduce to you just uh, a practice that we can all do, a spiritual thing, a holy thing, that can help us in our own individual lives kind of fight off that sin that clings to us. For some of us, it might be overreacting with anger. For some of us, it might be gossip. For some of us, it might be greed. For some of us, it might be lust. Like, Every one of us is still struggling with individual sin in our lives, even though we've been saved, even though we follow Christ, even though we're on the side of the saints now instead of the sinners, right? We're on God's team, but there's still stuff we have to deal with. And so today we're going to look to Jesus to help us with some things that we can do to open ourselves to, to receiving more of that power of the Holy Spirit that can transform us, give us better lives, make us holy, make us more like Jesus and live that life to the full. And so we're going to pick up with the story of Jesus, and through his example, he's going to teach us how to become more holy. Now, in my own life, I've found that uh, when I don't spend quality time with God, just me and God one-on-one, -on -one, that's when I'm more susceptible to messing up, to doing something that's not wise, to making a choice that's not holy. It's rather more unholy, to losing my temper when I shouldn't lose my temper, and, and many other things that I do. 
And so today we're going to look at how Jesus shows us how important it is for us as individuals to spend time alone with God. Uh, one way of saying this is solitude, spending time alone with God. And Jesus shows us that that's very important. Now remember, Jesus is fully God, but Jesus was also fully human when he came to the earth and uh, lived among us in the first century and, and did all of his miracles. And when he died and he came back to life. And so Jesus was a very busy person. Uh, he's trying to save the world. And thousands of people would flock to hear him teach and preach and they would ask for him to do miracles and heal them. And so Jesus was in high demand and he had a very tough and pressing schedule. And he loved people. He loved being around them. Uh, but it also zapped him. And he needed some time to kind of recharge his batteries. And so we see all throughout Jesus's ministry, as busy, as important as he is, he took time. He made time to have solitude, to spend time uh, in prayer and in the presence of God the Father. And so Jesus gives us a great example. And I'm going to just go quickly go through a few of these instances in the Bible, and we'll just show you kind of what Jesus did and where you can look this up. So if you want to you know, take some snapshots or come back and watch this again and dive into this more in detail, we're just going to kind of do a crash course of how Jesus made solitude, alone time with God, or alone time with his disciples so they could be with God, with Jesus himself, a priority. So we see several instances in Jesus's life where he makes solitude a priority. Jesus makes time to be alone with God. And so here we go. So one of the very first things that Jesus does is that he has some solitude with God because he's preparing for an important task. And the task is to do ministry. Like after Jesus has been baptized as an adult, he's getting ready to start his ministry and he's getting ready to be tempted by the devil even before he starts his ministry. He goes out in the desert and he spends a bunch of time with God. So before he prepares for an important task, Jesus spent time in solitude with God. We also see that Jesus thinks it's important to spend time alone with God or time in solitude to recharge after doing some hard work. One time in the Bible, he sent out his 12 disciples to do a bunch of ministry, and they came back exhausted. And so he said, we need to go off by ourselves so you guys can just kind of spend some time with me and to recharge. So we spend time in solitude with God to recharge after a lot of hard work. Another thing that Jesus showed us with solitude is that sometimes we need to spend time in solitude uh, to deal with the work of our grief. After Jesus' uh, cousin, John the Baptist, was killed, he was beheaded, uh, basically for his faith and speaking the truth, Jesus had to wrestle and deal with his grief. He was sad. His cousin had died. And so Jesus went off, and he spent some time alone with God. And I think that's important for, for us as well. When someone we love uh, dies, or someone uh, that we love is sick, and, and we're sad about that, we, we need to wrestle with that. We, we've lost something like a job or a relationship that we need to take time in solitude with God to deal with that. Uh, another time that Jesus spent some time with God uh, in solitude was before he had to make an important decision. Right? We have big decisions to make all the time. And so before we do that, it's good sometimes just to get God's perspective on that. And so before Jesus chose who his 12 disciples were going to be, he took some time apart uh, and he prayed about that. 
Another time that Jesus dealed, uh, dealt with some solitude or made solitude a priority uh, was when he was facing distress right before he was going to be arrested uh, and then put on trial and falsely convicted and then killed on a cross. He spent time praying to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, a great time of distress for Jesus when he just couldn't go it by himself. He needed that time with God. And then there are a bunch of places in the Bible that show us that Jesus went away to spend some time with God simply to pray, to talk to God and to listen to God, to receive God's wisdom and to rest in God's presence. And so Jesus, the Son of God, probably the busiest person who's ever been on the planet, sent with the task of saving the entire world, made it a priority to spend time alone with God in solitude. And I think that's a great lesson for us as we think about what it means to be spiritually strong. To be spiritually strong, we're going to have to spend some alone time with God. Now, maybe we hear that and we think that'd be nice to do, but it's a little intimidating. What am I going to do when I'm spending time alone with God? Because I might not be able to hear God like Jesus heard God. I might just be sitting around waiting for something to happen. I don't know what to do in that moment. How can I spend my time when I carve that out to be in solitude with God? Well, the two most prominent ways that, that people spend time with God in solitude, especially when we read the Bible, is, they, is we spend time with God in prayer. We talk to and listen to God and also reading the Bible, reading God's word. So those are two great practices that we can use to spend our time alone with God that gives us spiritual strength. I just want to thank Will for his opening testimony in today's worship service about how spending time in the Bible has really transformed his life. And if you'd like to learn more about it, if you'd like to hear the message that Will was referencing, uh, you can go to that spot on our website. We have that on our, our website in, in, in former messages and former sermons. And so we'll put a link up there for you right now where you can go and do that. If you want to learn what it means to pray, to talk to and listen to God, we did a series on prayer already this year. And so I direct you again to those messages. I wish I had time to go into all that today. But again, we can give you the link to go to those prayer messages and uh, just explore that for yourself. Um, and so prayer and Reading scripture, studying scripture are two great ways to spend time with God, uh, together with God in solitude. Now, now maybe that sounds good. Maybe you're interested in going and doing some research on what it means to study the Bible, learn from the Bible, pray, how to talk to and listen to God. I hope you'll do that. Uh, but maybe you're just thinking, well, that would all be great, but I just, there's no way in my life I can do that. I just, I'm too busy. I don't have time to do that. Uh, I just, I, especially the pandemic, I've got more people in my house uh, that are driving me crazy. I can't get away from them. I can't get a moment to myself or, you know, I might be living alone, but now I'm working at home and, and the boundaries between work and home have blurred and I'm just, I'm working all the time. I don't have time to stop working. And so I think we all have busy lives. And so that can be intimidating. When are we going to carve out time to spend in solitude with God? I was talking to one of our staff members uh, who has three children, and just saying how they love their children, I and mean, just how challenging it is when they're all home together just to grab a moment's peace. I remember one time I was preaching on solitude, and I, I was talking about how I spend time alone with God, ways that I do that, and, and something just came up in the message. I'm not sure if I meant to say it or not, but it came out, but I said, you know, when I think about spending time alone with God, you know, I try to do that in a respectful way, I try to, you know, in my office or maybe in my bedroom, 
One place I try not to spend time alone with God is in my bathroom. And I'm sorry, I know that sounds pretty crass and kind of gross, but I'm just trying to imagine a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, like this awesome person. And if I were to meet some dignitary here on the earth or have coffee with my boss or just have coffee with you, the last place that I would do that would be in the bathroom. It just would be, you know, a lack of respect. So I've tried to stay away from conversations with God in the bathroom. So that was part of my message. And after the message, people, you know, coming through the line, shaking my hand, all that kind of stuff before COVID. And uh, I just had a group of people come up and they were all parents with young children in the home. And they're like, Pastor Cobb, the bathroom is the only place where I can spend alone time with God or with anybody. It's the only moment of the day that I have to myself. And so please don't take that away from me, Pastor Kyle. And so that's kind of given me uh, pause to stop and think, I just need to reconsider my policy on that. And so uh, I know that a lot of you are busy and a lot of you are stressed out right now and you just can't get a moment uh, alone by yourself. And so how do we do that? Like, what? how do we carve out time alone when we have all this busyness or we have people around us? And I don't have any easy answer. I think, you know, part of that is we just have to make it a priority. I mean, we have to plan it. And we, if we have a spouse, we have to get their help or whatever. But what I'd like to invite you to do right now is just in the chat, share with the rest of the group, all those who are watching, ways that you have successfully been able to carve out some alone time in your life, especially during the pandemic. Whether you live by yourself or you live with other people, what are some strategies that you would share with others where you have found that you've been able to find some solitude, to spend some time alone with God? Maybe you're locking yourself in a room somewhere. Maybe you've got someone to watch your, your children. You know, what is that? If you'll just share that with us in the chat right now, that would be helpful. And we can lean on one another and learn from each other. Uh, you know, and, and some people probably say, well, you know what? You know, yeah, Jesus might have been busy, but he didn't have kids. Of course, he could go off and spend some time by himself. He didn't have to, you know, have any biological children. That's true, but he did have 12 disciples, and they acted like children a lot of times, especially Peter and uh, James and John. They they were always fighting about who's more important than the other one, and sometimes you read that, and you feel like they're adolescents that Jesus is having to deal with. And others would say, well, of course, Jesus can get off by himself somewhere. He only had 12 employees. You know, I, I'm over a larger company or a larger division or whatever, and yeah, he had his 12 core disciples, but those weren't just his disciples. He had a ton more. And then he had thousands of people following him around. And he was sent to save the entire world. And, and so I think Jesus is probably more important and more busy than any of us. And yet he still made it a priority to spend time alone with God. He still made it a priority to find and carve out solitude with God. And so if Jesus, the, the Savior of the whole universe, Savior of our world, could carve out time and make time for solitude, then I think we can do that too. Now, I want to shift the, the discussion a little bit. We're going to keep under the umbrella of solitude in the way that we think about that. Uh, but I want to dive into another story of Jesus, and this one's going to be in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's a story of Jesus, his life, is written by a, a disciple named Mark, really called John Mark. He's one of the early disciples uh, in the early church. And uh, we're going to pick up the story where Jesus has just spent a lot of time teaching and healing people uh, with his disciples. And he's exhausted. Uh, he's been pouring himself into that. He's also been in these arguments with some of the religious leaders of the day. 
And so he's been arguing, he's been talking, you know, theology, all that kind of stuff. He's been teaching a lot uh, and he's been healing people. And what's coming up, the disciples don't know this yet, but if we read in our Bibles ahead, Jesus is getting ready to go and he's going to cast out demons. And I'm guessing that takes a whole lot of energy. And so he's expended a lot of energy. He's getting ready to expend a lot more energy and he's just wiped out. And so we pick up the story where the disciples and Jesus have gotten into a boat because some of these disciples are, are fishermen and they're on the Sea of Galilee. It's like a huge lake. Think about kind of like Lake Norman with, with a bunch of hills around it. And this is in the northern part of Israel. And they, they've gotten on this lake and they're just trying to get away from people so that they can rest and recharge and have some solitude away from everybody else. So we're going to pick up the story today. Uh, in Mark's Gospel, we're going to be in chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 36, and then we'll dive in from there. So leaving the crowd behind, they took Jesus along, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, there's a lot that we could unpack in this scripture today. There's a lot that we can deal with about faith and Jesus' miracle and controlling nature and all that kind of stuff. But what I want us to focus on uh, is this verse right here, verse 38, where it says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. In the middle of the storm, what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He's resting. And I think Jesus gives us a great example by saying that even in the midst of life's storms and all that's going on around us at work and at school and in the nation and with unrest and politics and everything that's going on, that we still need time to rest, right? That rest is a part of solitude, that we can find rest in God. I think Jesus gives us a great example here that there is something important about within solitude, right? There's a time to study, there's a time to pray, but also in solitude that there is a time to rest. And it's important for Jesus himself, again, to demonstrate through his example that rest is very important as we think about becoming spiritually strong. To be spiritually strong, at some point, we, we're going to be weak, and we're going to need to rest, and we're going to need to recharge our batteries. And it's not just a spiritual thing. It, it, it's also proven scientifically. It's proven medically. I've been reading a lot about uh, the brain and Scientists have learned so much about our brains. It's just really cool and amazing. And uh, there's different parts of the brain and different parts of the brain do different things. And so we have this thing called the uh, prefrontal cortex that's in the front of our heads that really is the part of our brain that thinks logically. That's the part of uh, us uh, who are adults that thinks like an adult. And so uh, we might have emotions that want to you know, govern our lives, but uh, the prefrontal cortex helps us think through things logically. And so uh, our prefrontal cortex helps us make smart decisions, especially when it comes to moral decisions. Um, our emotions 
our guts might say, you know what, it'd be great for me to click over on this website because I'm really feeling that I need to go click on this website. Uh, but our prefrontal cortex, you know, rationally says, you might want to do that, uh, but that might ruin your marriage if you do that. So you don't need to do that. We get into some kind of a road rage incident where someone does something in traffic that makes us mad, they cut us off and uh, we just, you know, the, the, the guts inside of us are like, you know what, I'm going to chase them down. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I might give them some sign language, right? I'm just, I'm not going to let them get away with that. And then our prefrontal cortex says to us, yeah, they've made you angry and it'd be, feel great to go and chase them down and let them know exactly how you feel, but that's not the smartest decision. They might get out and hurt you. They might have a weapon, right? And, and maybe the reason you're so mad right now has nothing to do with them. Maybe it's something that, that's going on at work or at home, and you're just projecting that onto the road incident. And so our prefrontal cortex kind of walks us off that ledge and gets us back and helps us think rationally. So we had the prefrontal cortex. But inside of us, we also have the limbic system, and that's more of the gut reaction kind of a thing. Uh, and it, it, it's the part of our brain that uh, when something happens that, that could maybe be a potential threat or something that's not going our way, it, it, it's a quick reaction. It's a physical reaction. Let's say a dog's coming up and, and you know, getting ready to bite us and just baring its teeth or whatever. Our, our limbic uh, part of our brain takes over. And so it shuts down the prefrontal cortex, says it's not time to think about this, it's time to react. Uh, and so it puts us in defense mode. We see the dog that's snarling, getting ready to bite us. Uh, and so this is where we kind of get the idea that uh, we can fight the dog or, or we can, you know, flight. We can run from the dog or freeze. We can freeze up. We're so scared that the dog's there. Or we can freak out, you know, kind of like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Ah! Right? right? So it's just it. that, that limbic part of our brain uh, just kind of, it takes over. It takes over from our rational thinking just to reacting, right? That's when our heart starts beating faster, the blood starts pumping through our body faster, our muscles tense up, our eyes dilate, and we react, right? We're either going to fight, we're either going to flee, we're either going to freeze, or we're going to freak out. Um, and sometimes uh, that's a good thing to happen. Right? When we see a dog like that, we see a snake crawl in front of us, we see our child getting ready to touch the hot stove, right? The limbic part of our brain just takes over and we just, we react. And sometimes that's a good thing. But sometimes our brains uh, can mislead us and we see something that's a threat when it's not really a threat and we go ahead and we react and, rather than proactively kind of consider the situation uh, and we get into trouble. Again, someone cuts us off in traffic. It just seems like a threat that makes us so mad that we chase them down and we get into a fight. When our rational part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, if it could take back over, would say, hey, maybe we need to stop this. And this, this gut reaction is not the smartest decision that we're making in our lives right now. We talked about this earlier this year when we did a series on fear that sometimes our, our gut reaction is a good reaction and we should be scared of something. But a lot of times our gut reaction, we should be questioning. We should take a step back and take a mental time out and let that prefrontal cortex part of our brain, ask some questions. Should I really be worried about this? Uh, and so that's a little bit what's going on. One thing about our prefrontal cortex also is that it doesn't really fully develop until we're around 25 years old. So has anybody out there uh, like me 
uh, made some really poor decisions before we were the age of 25 that we wish we could take back because we really didn't think through that and we just went with our gut and it was probably not the best decision. Yeah, I probably should not have acted that way at the fraternity house party, you know what I mean? So just some bad decisions we made that we didn't have our prefrontal cortex fully developed. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Now, what does this have to do with anything that we're talking about today? Uh, this, is where, this is where it works. When we don't get enough rest in our lives, when we don't take care of ourselves, when we don't get enough sleep in our lives, what happens is our prefrontal cortex, that part that helps us think and make those wise decisions, it, it begins to shut down. And our limbic uh, part of our brain begins you know, to take over again. And so when we're tired, sometimes we lose uh, the ability to make those wise decisions, right? We don't truly lose the full ability, but it, it becomes harder for us to make those wise decisions. And so when we're tired, we're more prone to make bad decisions. We're more prone to kick, click on the website that we know we shouldn't be clicking on. We're more prone to chase down the person who's cut us off into traffic. Uh, we're more prone to yell at our kids when we probably just need to talk to them calmly. Right? So when we are tired, then we are more at risk of behaving in ways that are not holy. And when we're rested, and, and we have more control over what's going on in our brain, then we have a better chance of making good decisions. Isn't it amazing to think about how some of our spiritual strength, some of our moral decision-making might just come down to whether or not we got a good night's sleep or not? Now, I know it's more involved than that. I know we still have free will, and our free will is never voided. But when we're tired, it's harder for us to make the right decision than when we are rested. So what? So what's the point? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway today? This is what I think God's saying to us through these scriptures and, and through uh, what we've been talking about. And I think the, the moment, the so what issue, the, the bottom line today is that spiritually strong people make time for solitude. Spiritually strong people make time for, for solitude. We know that it's, it's good for us to spend time with God. The more that we're in God's presence, the more we're going to reflect that presence. The more that we're influenced by God, the more we're going to be like Jesus. And so we need to spend time in solitude, alone with God. And we do that by reading the Bible, reading God's Word. We do that through prayer. We, we talk to God and we listen to God. We're influenced by God. And also, I think part of that, so, that solitude is that sometimes... We just rest in God, that we're so exhausted from our lives that we just need to spend time in the presence of God resting. Just like Jesus took time in the middle of the storm, in the middle of, all, of, of a lightning storm, think about the storms in our lives, the storms at home, the storms at work, the coronavirus, all the storms in our lives right now. So we need to take rest in God in the midst of that. And so we make time for solitude. Spiritually strong people make time for solitude, and we read scripture, we pray, we talk to God, we listen to God, and we rest in God. So here's what I would challenge you to do this week. Two things, right? The first would be make time for solitude, right? Make time for God, right? Write it on your calendar, right? I'm going to spend five minutes with God a day. 
I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to go check out those sermons Pastor Kyle talked about. I'm going to carve it out. If I need some help from someone to, to give me some space, I'm going, to, I'm going to line up whoever that is, and I'm going to spend some time in solitude with God every day. Right, so we will first make time for God, make time for solitude. Right, the second thing, and this might be one of the most fun things I've ever asked you to do, is this. Take a nap for Jesus. Literally, take a nap for Jesus. Right? Or maybe just sleep eight hours at night for Jesus. Right? Rest for Jesus. Because when we are more rested, then we are able to make better decisions in our lives, to live life to the full. We're better able to resist temptation. Right? Because we're tired and we're weary. Right? That's where we leave ourselves open for attack from evil. And so take a nap for Jesus. Get eight hours of sleep for Jesus. I'll never forget. I went to a ministry uh, conference one time, and one of the speakers was the senior pastor of the largest United Methodist Church in Western North Carolina. And I knew him. He's a great guy. And he was just talking about, you know, things that he found were helpful in ministry. And he said, you know, one of the, the things that's been key to my ministry is every day spending time alone with God. And he would carve out time in his office and he would pray, he'd read the Bible. And, and then he said, you know, something that really got my attention. He said, uh, sometimes I, I was in there in my time with God and I would just, I would fall asleep and I'd take a nap. And he said, I didn't feel guilty about it because maybe this is where God needed me to spend my time, that I was exhausted and to serve him better as a pastor, that I needed to take this nap. And so I'll never forget that, all right? Like, if this pastor, he's the pastor of the biggest, you know, United Methodist Church in the area, could take a nap and his church didn't blow up or fall apart or fall off, you know, that what, there might be something to that. Now, I know that our staff's probably like, woohoo, it's nap time, woohoo, and that's okay, absolutely. Right? Take a nap for Jesus. Rest for Jesus. Uh, I know in my own life, when I look back uh, at times in my life that I'm ashamed of, that I wish had gone differently, that I made bad decisions in, uh, I made decisions that weren't very holy, that hurt people, friends, family, uh, colleagues, that, that in those moments, uh, a lot of times I can look back and, and say that I was simply just exhausted. And I made a bad decision. I didn't think about the decision. I didn't consult the Holy Spirit in the decision. I just was in a bad spot. And I needed some rest. And I hadn't been spending a lot of time to rest in God. Uh, and I just I made poor choices. So I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I, I want to live life to the full. I want to take God up on this, this promise that he wants me to live this life to the full. And, and part of that is spending time in solitude with God, being alone with God, learning from God, being like God, reading the Bible, praying, and also resting in God. One more passage of scripture I want to read to you. Uh, and this comes to us from Jesus himself. And it's going to come from Matthew's gospel. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. Um, and this is a powerful passage of scripture. And I just I think it's cool. And I think it sums up what we're talking about today. So this is from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. These are the words of Jesus, not just for his 12 disciples, not just for the first century, but for you who are listening right now. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many of us are weary? 
How many of us are carrying burdens around that are just dragging us down? Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are weary, carrying burdens on your backs, I will give you rest. Spiritually strong people make time for solitude. We make time to be in God's presence, to learn from God's word, to talk to and listen to God. And maybe most importantly today, right here and right now, that we make time to rest in God. If you're weary, if you're carrying burdens, you want to live a holy life and live that to the full, then take Jesus upon his offer. Come to Jesus and find rest. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.